Church, my name is Michael, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Then God said, let us make men in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on this earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that is the reading of God's word. Uh, well, good morning, True North. Welcome to our service. My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff here. I have the privilege of giving today's message. So yeah, just to reiterate, this will be our last Sunday at Gun. Um, again, that wasn't, we've been looking for a venue for a very long time. It was getting down to the wire. But luckily, last Friday, we, through God's grace, was able to get that. So just letting you know, more information will come for that. Um, a couple of things. I'm getting over a non-COVID illness, so you're safe, but I might sound a little sick, so I apologize. But also, we are beginning a new mini-series in the month of February entitled Imago Dei, uh, which in Latin means in his image, or oftentimes in the image of God. And what I wanted to do uh, with this month that I have to, to preach is to focus on what does it mean for us as human beings, all of us here, whether you believe in God or not, what does it mean that we are made in the image of God? It's an important topic that often, I think, for much of the church is never talked about. Um, we talk a lot about Jesus' love and forgiveness, which is very important. We talk about God's attributes of his sovereignty, which is really important. But if you're like me, that idea of being made in the image is more of a church metaphor than a realistic example that you're living in. And what I hope to do is to flesh out the richness of that truth that can give us life for today. And, you know, the whole idea of being made in the image of God ultimately comes down to your identity. And even before discussing what it means to be made in the image of God, the question I would ask you is this. How do you define who you are? What determines your identity? Right, it's, it's, it's a loaded question, maybe too meta for a lot of us, but it's an important question. Because if you look at scripture, it's God's greatest aid for you and Satan's greatest weapon against you. If you look at the creation narrative we just read, at least a couple of verses, God tells us this is your identity. You are made in my image. And in a couple chapters later, Satan's first attack and always has been the same attack with you is to attack your identity, to question whether you're made in the image of God or not. And with that, as we go into that, I would ask you, well, how do you define who you are? How do you define how your identity is made? And I, and I think I've mentioned this before, but one thing that I've come up with, and it's, it's very anecdotal, so it's not scientific or sociological, it's just my own perception of life, so it could be very wrong, and it probably is. Um, but I think for most Westerners, your identity comprises, comprises of three things, and I call it the, kind of the triad of yourself. And I think there's a, uh, another picture up behind me. But that, that's three things. It's your true self, it's your desired self, and it's your perceived self. That much of your core identity is wrapped up in these three circles. And they all work kind of together to determine who you are. And this is what I mean. 
for, a mod, for many, if you're a Westerner, which many of us are, meaning you just grew up here or you moved here, much of yourself first is determined by who you want to be, your desired self. And this applies in any arena, maybe your vocation, maybe your family, maybe your friends. This is who I want to be. So there's your desired self, and then also you have to deal with your perceived self. It's great that you think you are this person, but also other people perceive you in their own ways. And oftentimes it doesn't match up. And amidst all of that chaos is your true self, is your actual self, is your self at the moment. And this is the thing, for many of us, we think to find our true selves, we have to get the other two to match up. That we have to do everything in our power to get our perceived self, how others perceive us, to match how we want to be our desired self. I always, you know, I pick on Instagram and social media, but, and I don't mean to, but it's, it's so easy to do so. Instagram is such a good example of this. You post not who you really are. Like, you, no one does that, right? There's a filters there for a reason and all that stuff, right? You post who you want to be. You post an image of yourself. You only post with your makeup on or with this person or that person or this outfit, whatever it may be. I'm not, I'm not blaming any of you, right? All of us do that. And then from that, we determine, has that identity been received? What are the comments I'm getting? Or what are the, what are the no comments that I'm getting? How many views did I get? How many DMs did I get? All that's kind of wrapped up. In the midst of all of that, we never find our true selves. Often we hide our true selves. Okay, with all that, how does the image of God speak to us? I would propose this. Our identity in the Western world, we've got it all flipped. We're trying so hard to hide our true selves, to build up a new one. But God, in the Genesis narrative, gives you a much different answer. He tells you, I see you for who you are. I see your true self. Every part of you that you like and every part of that you don't. And the only thing that I desire to see in you is my own image. And what the, what the creation narrative is telling us, and we'll get into this and unpack this, is that what God is telling us is, let me give you your true self. And thus your identity can be born from that. And what is that? God gives us a clear answer to the question of identity in Genesis 1. We are made in his image. We are made in God's image. We are image bearers. What does that mean for us? You know, for this first sermon, it's going to be a little bit broad and it'll be more kind of brush strokes of this idea. But as we get into it, I would, I would propose this. I want us to get a deeper look into Genesis 1. Uh, if you grew up in the church, this story might be very familiar to you. And even if you didn't, you probably have heard some account of this. That God made the world in seven days. And as he did, I want you to pay very close attention to how he creates everything, and then on the sixth day, he creates human beings. If you look at how God creates things, it's a very business transaction. He says something, and then it happens. I gave this example in the, in the teacher sermon before, but you know, if you're working uh, in the consumer industry, when you deal with people, you're not really dealing with people. You're just trying to get them out as fast as you can, right? Like if someone came up to you, maybe you're a waiter or, a reg or like you're working in a register and they're like, dude, how are you doing? It's like, I don't know, but what do you want? Get out of my way, right? That's how God's been making the world so far. Verse three, God said, let there be light, there was light. 
Verse six, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate from the waters from the waters and it happens. Verse nine, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered and together into one place, let the dry land appear. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding soup. I can go on and go on, but in all the days leading up to humanity, it's very business-like. God says, hey, this is gonna happen and it happens. And then on the sixth day, something unique happens. Verse 26, then God said, and this is, it's remarkable, it's not human beings were made, he takes some time to ponder. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Skipping down to verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. You have to note that subtle change in what's happening. Uh, if you look back in you know, Hebrew text, there was no punctuation mark. You couldn't bold, you couldn't italics, you couldn't do any, you couldn't add an emoji, you can't do any of that. So what the authors did, if you like, you know, if you're texting your friend like something, you might, if you want to emphasize it, you'll put it in all caps. You'll add an emoji, you'll add a GIF or whatever it is, right? How did the Hebrew authors do that? Well, what they did is they wanted to repeat what was worthy of importance. And if you look at the creation of human beings, what do you notice? There's an attribute of us that's repeated three times. We are made in his image and his likeness. In the image, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And, and note this too. He, he, you know, the author's trying to emphasize this part of creation is very important. It's very important. And also note this, God does not need to deliberate. He does not have to think think about, hmm, how do I need to make this? He's God. The beauty of God is whatever he says happens. And yet, God takes time to pause and deliberate. Why? Not because he's confused, but he wants to make sure that whatever he's creating knows this is how important you are to me compared to everything else. And that importance is we are made in his image. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, first, there's two important things we gotta take away from that before we get deeper into this idea of being made in the image of God. That if we are made in his image, that all of us, every human being in this room and in this world carry two things, dignity and purpose. Dignity and purpose. You gotta realize in the ancient Near East, uh, in this time when Genesis was written, every type of creation story was wild. It was nuts. Um, most of it was the world was created out of violence and bloodshed. It was God's just duking it out like a UFC fight, and somehow the world was made. And in all of these creation narratives, outside of the Jewish narrative, people were an afterthought. We were made as slaves. We were made as servants. There was no value to us as human beings. There's one account where it's pretty wild, but the myth was human beings were created out of a mixture of mud, and the winning god slipped the dead god's blood and mixed it up and said, ah, this is who you are. That's our dignity often. And that's back then, but often I would say not much has changed now. The creation story that we have is boom, the big bang happened and we're a clump of cells, let's get on with our lives. All of those narratives from the old to the present, wherever you're at, tell you, you don't have much value unless you prove it. 
You don't have much value as a human being unless you're born into nobility, unless you accumulate wealth, unless you go out and take it with violence, killing others. But yet, this creation narrative that we have is a completely different narrative. Yahweh, the the God that we worship, it portrays a world not created out of violence, but a sovereign God with a plan to bring order out of chaos. And God is clear as he creates not the world from violence, but as he brings it into order in his sovereign plan, human beings are not an afterthought. We are not a clump of cells. We are not just people serving others. He tells us we are made in the image of himself. God is clear. Every single human being bears his image. And this is the thing. What did Adam or Eve do to have that mark given to him or her? nothing you see the first signs of grace in the creation there is nothing adam and eve have done to prove their value and yet god says you do because you exist genesis 9 6 uh, as you kind of go through the genesis narrative more in this time of noah noah has the flood he survives it he comes out Lots of crazy stuff happened if you know that story but to sum it up um, there's a lot of bloodshed happening and this is what god tells noah Uh, In chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. What he's saying is, if you kill someone, I'm going to kill you. That's basically what God is saying. Why does God say that? It's like, whoa, that's, that's not the God I worship, right? Why does God have that decree in the Old Testament? And this is the thing. God is not saying, hey, this is out of vengeance. But what God is saying is, This is how precious human life is to me. Note in this commandment, it doesn't say, it doesn't matter if you're right, it doesn't matter if you're wrong. It says, if you just kill a human being, your blood will be shed. What God is saying is, this is how much value and dignity every single human being has. As I mentioned before, not much has changed. And I want to take a moment to pause. There's a lot of, you know, historical seminary background. I hope that's helpful. But let me speak to you. I don't know where everyone's at coming out of COVID and the pandemic. There's a lot of things happening. Don't ever let anything deceive you, especially the enemy. You have value. You have dignity. It does not matter how far away you feel from God. Remember, when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't say, prove to me that you're made in my image. He says, in my image you are made. Now go and live. And what do they do? They fall. But God knew that. Never forget that we all carry dignity, image bearers. And I'm going to use that language a lot this month. Human beings are image bearers of God. And we have to carry that dignity in two ways, to ourselves and to others. You know, so much of sin, you know, the things that uh, we, we talk about, so much of the root of sin, there's a lot of things, but so much of it is we've lost this idea of dignity in people. I mean, if you're, if you're cool with someone, like, yeah, you're going to be cool with them. But if the minute someone irks you, you know, I, I talk about this a lot. If the minute someone cuts you, man, people have been cutting me off a lot these days. Maybe that's more my driving. But anyways, the minute someone cuts you off, that human being is no longer a human being in my eyes. He is someone to be conquered or killed, right? We all feel that. We lose this idea so easily. Every single human being carries the dignity of God. Every sin that we commit is because we've lost that. If you're greedy, the only way you often will get money if you're greedy is at the expense of another human being. 
If you're, if you're stuck in porn or lust or sexual addictions, you know what you're doing? That person you're watching on the screen is no longer a human being. They're an object. They're, they carry no dignity. You forget they're a daughter or a son, a sister or a brother. Even addictions and self-harm, those mistakes are caused because you forget your own dignity. Never forget this. If we're made in the image of God, Imago Dei, if we carry that, all of us, even those we don't like, maybe you can't even bear yourself at this moment. You carry value. And God assures you that. And not only are we created with dignity, but also we are created with purpose. Uh, the term, the image of God in, in the Hebrew at the time, it was often reserved for, for royalty by the ancient Near East. Like, basically, uh, if you watch Prince of Egypt, the, Dream, the old OG version, the DreamWorks version, if you remember the Pharaoh, right? The whole thing was kind of, he's chosen by Ra. He is chosen by the Egyptian gods. He is made in the image of God. So often when you saw that term, the image of God, what that meant is, oh, it's the royalty because they represent the gods or goddesses of the time. And it's only for select few people, right? For everyone else, you're created to serve those. That's your purpose. If you're living in this time, your purpose is tied with your bloodline. Who was your father? Well, that's who you are. Who is your husband? Well, that's who you are. It's a broken system, but yet, what does God tell us in his kingdom? He doesn't say, oh, only the, these people are, no, no. We are all created in the image of God. What does that mean? We all are royalty in Yahweh's kingdom. We carry that weight with us. We are called, our purpose is this. We're called to be God's representatives on earth continuing his work of bringing order out of chaos. That is our purpose. And often, if you hear that, you're like, ah, that's, that's cool. Like, my purpose of getting stocks or wealth or whatever, or real estate, that sounds better. But the problem is this. So much of living in a secular world, there's a great paradox that we face. Because this is the thing. If you live in this world, that often tells you, hey, the creation story that we have, the Big Bang, it happens, you're just a clump of cells. You're just floating through space on a rock. That's your purpose. So what does that mean? Your purpose is determined by you. You gotta make it. You gotta find it, right? Uh, you know, that's, that's the huge craze, like self-help and, and therapy, and, and, and I, I think mental health is extremely important. But you have to understand, there is a weight to making your own purpose, a burden that you cannot carry um, Tim Keller, he, he came out, he's a pastor, me and Jay quote him like literally every sermon, but he came out with an article this morning and he had something that I had to add because I think it was so, it captured the, the burden of this paradox. He writes this, the modern self is exceptionally fragile. While having the freedom to define and validate oneself is superficially liberating, it is also exhausting. You and you alone must create and sustain your identity. This has contributed to unprecedented levels of depression and anxiety and never satisfied longings for affirmation. Now you feel that. Like, especially here in the Silicon Valley. What did Silicon Valley tell you? What was the creation myth that Silicon Valley told you? Potential is unlimited. We can scale forever. 
we know that not, that's not true. We know that's, I mean, some of you might be facing layoffs or the potential of that, and that burden is heavy, and I know it is, because that's your purpose. What God is trying to tell us when he tells us we're made in the image of God is, I'm giving you a purpose. You don't need to make it. You don't need to find it. You have it. And that purpose is your call to radiate my glory onto the creation and people on this earth. It's freeing to have that, to be given that, and not to have to earn it. That's what the image of God gives you. It gives you dignity and it gives you purpose. Now that might be a great historical seminary lesson, but most of us would be like, that's cool. What does that mean for me right now? Well, for the next you know, three weeks, what I want to do, I, I, I wish we had longer because I could branch in other ways, but I want to focus on if we are made in God's image, if we have dignity and purpose, well, what does that mean for us? There, I want to focus on three things. So basically, these are summaries of the next three sermons that I'll give. If we're made in the image of God, if we have purpose and dignity, number one, we are created for relationship. We're created for relationship in an individualistic world. We're created for relationship in an individualistic world. If we're honest with ourselves, if you enter your workplace, you know that, that feeling you get. It's a dog-eat-dog world. I got to take care of myself and myself only, and I'm good. But the, if we're made in God's image, it's, it's going to challenge you deeply with that. If you take a look at the text again, in verse 26, again, there's something really subtle that happens, but that should kind of blow your mind. In the creation narrative so far, from days one to five, God is always referencing himself in the single person. It's just I, it's just me. On the sixth day in verse 26, all of a sudden it changes. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our Likeness. Now, if you look at commentaries, there's a lot of debate over what this means, but I think it's a very simple, well, not simple answer, but it's a hidden answer, but that gives us a deeper resonating truth. What God is revealing when he creates us is we are very special, but he also, when he creates us, he reveals more about himself. Do you see that? Before, it's just, hey, I'm making, I'm making, I'm making, but when he makes us, he, he reveals something about himself. It's not just me. The God that we worship is not some deity in the sky holding a lightning bolt ready to kill anyone that you know, betrays him. We worship and believe in a triune God, in the Holy Trinity. Now, again, that could be a whole other sermon series, but let me take one aspect away of that. We worship a communal God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfectly loving one another. What does that mean for us? If we're made in his image, plural, that means we are created also to be in relationship. If you look at the Garden of Eden, it's this perfect triune relationship outside of the Trinity. The Trinity exists, but all of a sudden, as God creates man, there's a new triune relationship between man and God and man and woman. What does that mean for us? Um, to, to live for relationship in a perfect world is easy. Like, uh, I remember when I grew up, I, like, I grew up on, on Disney and Hollywood. So, like, I would watch Aladdin 
all the time. And I was like, yo, if I find a wife, she's going to like be like Jasmine? Like, that's awesome, right? And I'm sure my wife thought some, some fairy tale of me as well. But we got married. And we're like, we're, we're like no, that's, this ain't true. Like, you're not Jasmine, and I'm not Aladdin, right? Why? In a broken world, relationship, true relationship that goes deep is so difficult. Because it, it, it exposes not who they are, it exposes who you are. It exposes your brokenness, exposes your filth, exposes your quick temper, whatever it may be. But God is saying, look, even in a broken world, we have to strive for deep relationship because to be human is to be seen. Again, let me take this metaphor even deeper. Um, to me, it's always been interesting that when God says, I'm gonna make man, he says, I'm gonna make him in the image of myself. Now, when you look at the text and the vocabulary, he could have used different words that conveyed the same meaning. He could have said, oh, I'm gonna make you like myself, and he does say that. He could say, I'm gonna make you like a, like a son or daughter, but he says, in the image of me. And it always struck me, because this is the thing, what makes an image an image? What makes a painting a painting? Right? I don't know how many of you have seen the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. Uh, I've seen it once. Now imagine you're living maybe in the early 1900s, no cell phones, right? And I come back from France on a trip, and I'm like, yo, I saw the craziest painting. And you're like, oh, well, describe it to me. Well, it's like this girl, and she's just like, kind of looking like this, right? Have you seen that painting? How can you know that painting exists? I can describe it to you. I can even try and draw it out for you horribly. But deep down inside, you're going to be like, no, 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 no. I, I don't know that painting exists until I see it. What I'm getting at is an image only exists when it's seen by others. Do you get where I'm going? What that means for us, for us to be completely and truly human, that means we have to be seen by others and God. That's why we're called to be made in the image of God. And that is the most difficult thing to do because we want to show people parts of ourselves. But the beauty of the Garden of Eden was they were naked. And, you know, physically it's like, whoa, that's crazy. But also that shows a deeper metaphorical truth. They had nothing to hide. Absolutely nothing to hide. And so much of our call to go back to that image is to recreate that vulnerability with people around us. And the key to that is unlocking, well, what, is it made, what does it mean to be in a relationship if we're made in the image of God? It's to be seen by others. And this is the thing, it's seen perfectly by God. And this is the thing, I'm not saying to be seen by everyone. I'm, I'm going to talk about this next week. You set boundaries, because if you look at Jesus, he is the perfect image of God. And he's like, I have boundaries. I have 12 friends. The rest of you, like, I kind of know you, but that, that's my boundary, right? Some of us, you have no relationship. Some of you are in too many relationships, Right? So it's like, if we're made in the image of God in an individualistic world, how do we bear his image in relationship? What does that look like? We'll get into that. So one, we're created for a relationship, but also, secondly, we're created to create. Uh, I hope another part of a week that we'll have in February is discussing this. If we're made in God's image, it also gives a specific purpose for your work and vocation. Um, I'll, I'll go over this really quickly. Genesis 28. So as he continues, God says, hey, I made you in my image, in the image of God. I've created you, male and female. Verse 28. And God blessed them, 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. One of the main purposes of being an image bearer is to continue God's work in the creation narrative. This is the thing, and I've preached about this a lot, but we'll go into this more specifically in a couple of weeks in the image of God. So much of our vocation and work, the reason why it's so difficult is because we got it all wrong. So much of our vocations is how much can I build my wealth? How much can I build my tower? When you look at the creation narrative, if we're made in God's image, what is God doing? His work is to spread order wherever he goes. That is the calling of our vocation and our work. And this is the thing, every single true vocation holds that. Like if you're a service worker, you are really bringing order into chaotic restaurants. If you're a coder, what are you doing? You're literally being like, not exactly, but you're continuing the likeness of God. You are bringing order out of, when I see code, I see the matrix, I have no idea what it is. But some of you, you're just like, oh, here's an app. It's like, that's crazy. You're continuing God's work, but we never see it that way. And if you see it that way, if we're creating the image of God, how much more will that direct our vocation rather than just aimlessly, I need to get promoted, I need to get more. But rather, if you're creating the image of God, what does it look like to be a coder? What does it look like to be a healthcare worker? What does it look like to be in education as an image bearer? What does it mean to be in your vocation carrying the image of God? So we'll focus on that. But lastly, and I think the most important, not most important, but the most key, um, we're created for relationship, we're created to create, but lastly, we're created to mirror God's glory. And this is important. And hopefully the sermon that we give in a couple of weeks will clarify this. In the Ten Commandments, there's one commandment that should stick out to you now that you've heard image, image, image over and over again. The second commandment that God gives to, to Moses in Exodus is this, Exodus 20, 4 to 5. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Um, you know, if you're in middle school with some like existential angst, you're like, why is God jealous, right? Like, ah, I can't worship a God that is jealous. And that might stick with you today. How can a perfect God be jealous? Like, because if you have a jealous ex that's toxic, you're like, I don't want none of that, right? But that, that's not who God is. The reason God is jealous for you, the reason why he says don't make any other image, and that should ring a bell, is because if we're made in the image of God, our function is to be like a mirror. If you think about a mirror, a mirror in itself cannot produce light. It has no power, but the minute you shine light on it, it amplifies the light even more. That is what our purpose is, that's what our calling is to be made in the image of God, but this is the thing. We're created to do that with God's glory, with God's goodness, with God's beauty, with God's love, and we're supposed to infract that in our vocation, in our relationships, which, which we'll talk about, all across the earth. But the problem is, if we're created to do that in a broken world, as we reflect God's glory, the minute that we set a new image in our hearts, a new idol, no longer do we reflect God's glory, we reflect the broken glory of that idol. You know, it's funny because if, I don't know, if you've been in the church, you've heard the word idolatry used a lot. Um, I remember my wife, uh, she's helping with education here at our church. And for our youth kids, they had a, a, sermon, or a discussion on idolatry. 
And those kids were like, we have no, like, we don't worship, you know, statues. Like, what, what are we doing? The reason why we still have idols is because back then, they would create an image of a false god and worship them. Now, no longer do we do that. Now, that false statue is located in our hearts. And this is the thing. When, whenever you worship anything other than God, you're always reflecting something back. Do you get where I'm going? The problem with idolatry, if we're created in the image of God, is you become what you worship. You become what you set your eyes upon. And what we want to do is realize if we're made in the image of God, we have to refocus our eyes on the image of God and realize the dangers of the idolatries of our time. So we'll go into that too. So I know that's a lot. It's a broad overview. But hopefully that gives you a small preview of what's coming up. But let me end very quickly with this. With that all being said, why is it that you're like, okay, that's cool. I'm made in the image of God. I don't feel it. Like if you're like me, like I wish that was true. Like, that sounds beautiful. That sounds great. But I don't feel that. I don't feel like I'm made in the image of God. I don't feel like, you know, this person I don't like is made in the image of God. Why is that? Right? Well, because we live in a broken world. Because the minute that Eve was tempted by the serpent, that Adam and Eve fell, they, they believed the lie that they could become greater than the image of God, that image was tarnished. And now we only get glimpses of God's image and much more of it is just sinful glory kind of surrounding the earth. So how is it then that we can return to Eden? How can we become image bearers again of God and create things for this world and not destroy? Well, ultimately, what Genesis was ultimately pointing to is that the true image of God given to us is in Christ. Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1:15. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Again, with all this image language, that should ring a bell. Like, whoa, why is Paul describing Jesus as the image of God? Because we messed it up. We messed it up badly. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, and I think I preached on this a couple weeks ago. But Paul writes this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What is Paul saying? If you feel that, like, man, I, I, that sounds great. I would love to live in a world where everyone's made in the image of God, but it's not true. The way that you can make it true is by looking intensely to Jesus. I'll be honest, for a lot of us, even including myself, Jesus, if you've, especially if you've been in the church for a while, Jesus is more of an idea than a person. Right? Jesus is something you go to when things aren't going well. It's like, yo, Jesus, like, man, I got an interview. I'm coming to you, right? Jesus, my kids are driving me crazy. I'm coming to you. And this is the thing. Jesus is there for all of that. But we need to see Jesus in his holistic life. Because when you look at the Gospels, and when you look at what he's done, look at what he did and what he went through. He was trampled, even though he carried the true image of God. He was perfect, and how he carried himself, but he was trampled by the people, by image bearers around him. And what does he do? He does not turn back in vengeance. He does not turn his face away. But he says, no, I'm going to still, even though I'm trampled, I'm going to radiate the true image of God to my people. That God is forgiveness, God is grace, and God is love, and he goes to the cross. 
when you, when you look at that, not as an idea, but as a person, especially when you read the Gospels, you will find the image of God becoming much more true in your life. We all know this. Whatever you look at, you become. You know, my kids, I'm realizing, especially my son, like anything he looks at that I do, he's gonna do, right? Um, I love TikTok, like, you know, I got my own issues, right? But I love TikTok, and I remember I was on TikTok, and my wife wasn't there, and I was watching a video, and I didn't realize it was right next to me. And I was watching a video, and then it was just a guy, and he just blurts out a cuss word. I was like, oh, shoot. Like, oh, Eli didn't hear that. He looks at me with a smile, and he's like, F, right? I'm like, oh, shoot. How'd you, like, how did you even learn to pronounce that so correctly, right? It was your first time, I think, right, hearing that. And he's like, yeah, F, F, F. I was like, hey, you got to chill, right? Like, and I realized, like, he, he only saw that once, and I made sure to shut it off, like, before the last K, right? But he's so impressionable that anything he sees or hears, he does. And, you know, it's an infant thing to do, but we are the same. We're childlike in our souls. Whatever we look at, we become. And the whole point of the sermon series is this. Can we look to Christ to become more like the original image that we're called to be, to be made in the image of God and reflect his glory to those around us and even to ourselves. So I hope for this month we can look at that, we can reflect on that, and we can see Christ in the end of that. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we continue to live our lives, I know it's hard, uh, especially with these times, with the economy, uh, with just the the unknowingness of if our job will be there tomorrow in this sector, whatever troubles we're going through. But as we do and as we don't diminish those weights and those burdens, allow us to reflect on what you've told us, even just from the beginning, that we have value, that we have dignity, that we have purpose, and that we have to do nothing to gain it. That even before we were made, you told us, I'm making you in my image So allow that truth to resonate, allow us to reflect on that, allow us to see that in Christ, to give us the strength to reflect your glory to the ends of this earth. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.